Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Takashi Wada, the Chief Medical Officer for Inland Empire Health Plan. In today's story, we learn a little bit about Dr. Wada's inspiration behind becoming a physician, how he spent a little bit of time overseas in London with a fun adventure before coming back to the United States and really becoming a public servant where he's serving various communities here in California and now ultimately with Inland Empire Health Plan. In today's episode, Dr. Wada also talks about the new initiative, CalAIM, and how many Medi-Cal beneficiaries are receiving more supports and care management than ever before, and some things that often people don't think about as directly related to healthcare. We hope you enjoy the episode. Check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at pophealthpodcast.com, checking us out on our YouTube channel, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks and enjoy the show. Dr. Wada, thanks so much for joining the show today. Great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So on our show, Dr. Wada, one thing we like to do is get to know the guests a little bit before we get into the core uh, reason for you being here today, which is to talk a little bit about IEHP and CalAIM. So let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us something about you that might surprise the audience, preferably something outside of the workplace. Um, let's see. Uh, so yeah, I have I have three kids, so that that takes up a lot of my time just in kid activities, but. I guess the one uh, more interesting thing would be uh, before I uh, became a physician and went to medical school, I did work as a bartender in London for for a while. And uh, interestingly, like that experience um, has really helped me in my various professional roles in terms of being able to listen and relate to people and empathize and hear their stories. So yeah, every experience kind of leads you to who you are today. So. That was the one that I thought of. Yeah, that's a really neat one. Uh, what brought or what took you out to England? Uh, <laughs> that's a long story. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to you know, try traveling. I hadn't done much before. I didn't have a lot of funds, but I figured if I went somewhere and actually worked, then I could at least hopefully break even. And so I, I just went to England and I was really into music at the time. So um, got a job as a, as a dishwasher in a pub initially, and then um, ended up working behind the bar. And this was kind of your classic, stereotypical English pub, uh, you know, a lot of uh, senior <laughs> visitors who would just talk about, uh, you know, current events and World War II and oh, yeah. things like that. It was, it was a great, uh, great fun time for me. Nice. I'm a big uh, soccer supporter. So uh, I'm curious when you're out in, in the London area, did you, did you already know what the Premier League was or did you catch up on any of that? No, this was, uh, oh, I'm dating myself, but uh, late 80s, early 90s. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you weren't there long enough to pick up an accent, but uh, no. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, a great story. Let's get to know a little bit more about your background before we jump into uh, Inland Empire Health Plan or IEHP and CalAIM. So 
Give us a little bit of background, Dr. Wada, where you grew up. I know we'll talk a little bit about how you ended up in Santa Barbara. Um, but yeah, give us a little background about yourself, where you grew up, and ultimately how you chose medicine. Uh, sure. Uh, born and raised in Southern California, um, initially around the uh, MacArthur Park area, um, west of downtown. But most of my schooling and junior or senior high school was all in Culver City. And I know uh, your team has some ties to Culver City as well. Yeah. Um, so that that's uh, where I was raised primarily. Um, how did I get into medicine or become a physician? Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, after I was born, my mother became um, uh, inflicted with a fairly severe progressive rheumatologic condition. So uh, there are no professionals in my family, but I was around the medical community a lot through my mother and she would uh, be hospitalized you know, quite often at UCLA. So even from the earliest ages, I was uh, running around the halls of UCLA Medical Center and eating in their cafeteria with my father. And so a lot of the medical staff knew me and, you know, I think as a young child, you're very impressionable and they're the doctors with their white coats trying to help your mother. And that, that's, uh, that was my target goal from a very, very early age. Wow. Wow. What a, what a strong connection there. So, so you go to UCLA. I mean, your, your mother received care there, but you actually even ended up going to school there. So in my, uh, like, I guess, was it that familial experience that made you choose UCLA or? Uh, yep. Actually, that was the only medical school I applied to. It was uh, that uh, dead set on going to UCLA for that. So, Got it. So are you rooting for the Bruins at all? We got March Madness coming up. Big Bruin fan. Yeah. When I was there, I was one of the you know students who would uh, do you know, face paint and stuff like that at <laughs> camp overnight for uh, basketball tickets. So yeah, oh yeah, big Bruin fan. That's awesome. They had the rivalry game. I know that's people think of that more football, but basketball even as well as we're recording this. Uh, two really good teams right there. Yep. So so you go to UCLA. You you experience you know uh, what you experience with your mother at a young age. Um, then you decide while you're becoming a physician to, to opt to serve the community. Um, tell me about that. What, what made you choose to go the service route versus potentially, you know, some other, some folks can go different routes and make significant, you know, incomes. Um, well, yeah. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, ended up going into primary care as a family doctor and, uh, working in, uh, underserved areas, community clinics, mostly uh, providing care for the homeless and uh, Im immigrant populations in the same community that, that I grew up in. Um, so so you know, some of my, my patients were kids or teenagers that went to the same schools that, that I did. And uh, I just felt that that was something that I wanted to do um, and was really rewarding for me in terms of giving back. And uh, also worked uh, some internationally in Mexico, you know, Central and South America, um, and so that uh, that element of of medicine is just something that has uh, carried me throughout my career. That's awesome. Do you mind me asking when you um, did the international work? Was that more mission work or service oriented work, or was that actually um, you you actually stayed down there and that was a primary source of income? 
no, I was not paid for that. So the way I had my um, contracts were arranged here was that I, I would be working in the community clinic for most of the year. Um, I was teaching at UCLA, but then I reserved two to three months a year to do international work just on, on my own. And so I would go and, and work in those other countries that, as a physician. Wow, I have a lot of, I'm re, this is very touching. I have a lot of questions. Um, I, we don't have enough time for what I'm sure the, the stories and uh, more about your heart, but that is that is really uh, very neat, Dr. Wada. And um, yeah, looking forward to learning more, maybe off air about that. So sure, um, sure. yeah, no, the, again, great experiences. I often learned uh, just as much um, from those people and places than, than I contributed, um, you know, just in terms of what's, what life is, uh, has to offer and what's important. So, um, yeah, great, great experiences. Awesome. Awesome. So eventually you end up going up to beautiful coastal Santa Barbara, which is a special place for me. I went to school up there, a little place called Westmont college, which a lot of people have never heard of. And like, is that a all boys school or junior college? Uh, but yeah, Santa Barbara has a special place for me. So tell us what brought you up there and eventually how you ended up at IEHP, which is inland. Sure. Um, and so um, I was working in, in the you know community clinic, free clinic setting, um, seeing a lot of the undocumented. And this was in the 90s, um, of course, before the Affordable Care Act. So there, there were quite a number of um, Sorry, un, un, uninsured, so not undocumented, uninsured individuals. And, um, you know, you're in, in medical school, you're sort of taught how to, uh, you know, diagnose and, and treat people, but, you know, it's sort of separated from the reality of what you have to deal with when people don't have insurance and don't have great access to quality health care. So, um, you know, those sort of frustrations with the system and that, uh, you know, sort of inequities led me more into public health. So I got more involved in public health policy, um, served uh, for a, a little while as director and health officer of uh, Pasadena's health department. Um, and then I got a job uh, heading the County of Santa Barbara's health department. So we moved up there. My wife's family was in Santa Barbara County. Ah. So as we started to have younger kids, you know, closer to family, it was, a, it was a good career opportunity for me. And so I went up to Santa Barbara County, um, overseeing their uh, health services department, uh, also for a while their behavioral health department and their uh, federally qualified health center services. Okay, awesome. I have to admit, I didn't know what a FQHC was up until probably three or four years ago. So um, yeah, every time I hear the term, I'm like, okay, I know what a federally qualified health center is now. Yeah. Um, so awesome. So you're up there uh, for a few years. And then, um, you know, you go from the coastal Santa Barbara to an opportunity with Inland Empire Health Plan. What drew you out to the IE or Inland Empire? Uh, so when I was up in Santa Barbara, unfortunately, my father uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, amazingly, he's doing well to this day, but at the time we didn't think he was, uh, his prognosis was very good. So we made a family decision to move back to be closer to help support him. And so my kids could have some quality time with him. Um, and at the same time, it was just extremely fortunate and blessed that an opportunity opened up with IEHP. And uh, IEHP had a great reputation for innovation, doing some wonderful work, doing the right thing. 
um, and they just happened to have a senior leadership position that was available. Um, I had gone to UC Riverside for, as an undergraduate, so I knew the area a bit, and uh, it was just a wonderful, great opportunity for me career-wise as well. Yeah, from one NSP County to the other. Well, it's uh, it's great to see how your parents, um, how you've been there for them, and um, they obviously played an important part in your life. So um, with Inland Empire Health Plan, can you give us just a, a brief overview? Our audience is a national audience. Many are, are actually here in California, but they may not be too familiar with IEHP. Tell us about IEHP. Sure. Uh, so Inland Empire Health Plan, uh, it's a it's a public uh, Medicaid managed care plan. Um, and here in California, it's uh, called Medi-Cal. And so we provide that, uh, we administer that program to about one point for 1.5 million residents in Riverside and San Bernardino counties. And we've been around for about 25 or so years, you know, started very small, 60,000 members um, here in the area in the two counties. And of course that's grown um, you know, over the years with, through the Affordable Care Act to where we're now providing that, that oversight for yeah, almost one and a half million residents. Yeah, and I think from a land size, I was talking to one of your colleagues off the air, um, I know you're one of the largest in California, um, but from a land size, you might be the largest. Do you happen to know, Dr. Watt, if geographically it's the largest uh, area for coverage? Uh, I, I don't want to say for sure, but yes, there are definitely two very big uh, counties. Uh, and so, I mean, our network, we have, I think, some 8,000 doctors and providers that are, are working with us. You know, our, we have about 2,500 or so employees. Um, so yes, we we cover quite a quite a range of geography. Yes, and you're about 25 minutes uh, from my house. Uh, I've been to your uh, your headquarters there in Rancho Cucamonga, and I actually have a few friends who um, who foster children. And I know, um, if I recall correctly, IHP uh, helps provide the coverage for foster kids in the Inland Empire. Do I have that right? We do, yes. Foster kids, you know, Medi-Cal, of course, services all ages. We do um, some Medicare, some dual uh, eligible populations that have both Medi-Cal and Medicare. Um, so we, we do support all of that. Great. So one of the reasons um, we wanted to really bring you on, um, being you know a CMO for one of the largest plans here in the state, is to talk about CalAIM. So can you give our audience a uh, quick overview of what is Cal AIM and why it might be important to our audience of healthcare professionals. Sure. Uh, so Cal AIM, it's actually an acronym. Most people aren't necessarily aware of that, but it's a California Advancing and uh, Innovating Medic Cal. Um, it's a multi-year initiative through the State Department of Healthcare Services to really um, sort of transform the um, Medi-Cal program. So in, in the past, um, you know, a lot of healthcare is really focused on uh, the care that's provided sort of within the walls of facilities, within hospitals, within clinics. Um, but um, from my public health background, and I think a lot of your audience would certainly understand if they work with the population, you know, you have to think of health much more broadly. And so through CalAIM, it's really kind of moving us outside of those walls. It's supporting community-based um, enhanced care management teams to kind of wrap services around our, our members or individuals with sort of the highest needs. Um, it's uh, promoting a lot of um, what's called community support services um, that's really allowing us to address some social determinants of health. 
And there are a lot of, a lot of other aspects to CalAIM. There's multi, multi-components around expanded geography, trying to develop a more seamless integrated system, bringing in behavioral health integration, um, population health management. So there are a lot of different pieces to CalAIM, um, but I would say kind of overall, those are some of the sort of broad aspects of, of the initiative. Yeah, thank you very much. And I know there's significant funding as well. So um, audience, um, I've kind of plugged in a little bit to CalAIM over the last few months, not as uh, skilled or knowledgeable as Dr. Wada. But um, one of the cool things that I see out there is uh, something called housing deposits, which is one of the, the community supports. I know IEHP uh, is involved with that. Could you, uh, and I know you're not, you know, you may have a, a person on your team who's the housing deposit guru, but can you give a, an idea of maybe how the, why the housing deposit is something that a medical plan should be involved with, or why? Why is financial assistance with medical or with Cal- IEHP? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I would qualify it a little bit by saying, um, for the community support services, every managed care plan was able to choose what they wanted to implement. So it may not be the same, and with every health plan and in every region. The state gave us a menu of, of 14 or so that we could choose from. We decided to implement 11 of those, which I think is one of the, the most throughout the state. And yeah. there is a housing bundle. <clears throat> so as a managed care plan, and again, we're, we're a public plan, which gives us a little bit of different perspective um, because it really allows us to focus on our our members and and the quality we don't have some of the financial pressure around stakeholders and things that a commercial plan might have and so you know above and above all we exist because of our members and trying to keep them healthy and and for those that are ill to try to get them better and uh, a lot of that focus in the past uh, has been in some of the transactional work that's kind of how managed care started you know contracting with providers um, you know, overseeing the billing and things like that, you know, making sure you had a good network of, of providers um, and contracts. Uh, but really over time, it's really shifted focus into really trying to push the needle on quality to make sure that our members you know, get the quality, get the access and quality that they deserve. Um, and so a big piece of that, though, um, is, is getting, again, sort of upstream. So it's very difficult to improve someone's health when you're only focusing on what happens in a hospital or a clinic, when that same individual then sort of leaves that facility and space with homelessness and food insecurity and you know all the different uh, biases that, that exist in society. So um, with CalAIM, it, it now allows us to support um, some of those uh, programs that address social determinants of health. So you mentioned the housing deposit. Um, so um, we're not able to pay for housing just indefinitely, but as a health plan, we know that if we want to keep our members healthy, keep them on their medicine, keep them out of the hospital, we have to address some of these other uh, impacts on their lives as well. So we can pay just for the initial deposit. There's housing navigation um, and tenancy services where we can get them connected to say county programs around you know, housing vouchers and things like that, other housing programs. Um, there's short-term post-hospitalization housing and recuperative care. Yeah. So if someone is in the hospital and 
say they're homeless and they need somewhere, they don't quite qualify and meet criteria to be in a skilled nursing facility, but you can't put them back out on the street or they're just gonna end up right back in the hospital again. So we now have the ability to cover sort of that bridge period. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then when somebody's in housing, there's sustaining services that we can support as well. So sometimes an individual who's, um, you know, hasn't been housed in a long time, it's not easy for them to follow rules. And sometimes they get afoul of, uh, you know, landowners, um, uh, landlords, I should say. And yeah. so, you know, it's important to help support them with those wraparound services, just on, you know, how do you pay the bills? How do you follow you know, rules and, and things like that. So there's a whole housing bundle of services that uh, we're able to now support through our community partners. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we talked about the housing, um, there's transitional care, there's personal care and respite uh, additions besides just in-home support. I mean, like you said, there's 14 um, community supports used to be known as in lieu of services. Um, so can you, can you tell us so, well, let me backtrack a little bit. So my day job is in, in healthcare related field. And one thing that I've found when it comes to contracting or being a service provider with a government entity is usually there's all these strict rules and you have to do it this way. You can't do it that way. And one thing I've noticed with CalAIM is there's actually some flexibility built in to these service providers for some of these new services. Tell us a little bit about, well, well let me backtrack. While the contract might be pretty straightforward, the actual delivery of care, there's not all these specific ways it has to be done. Tell us about that. Why, why so much flexibility with CalAIM? There is, there is some flexibility and there, there are, of course, some, some rules as well. And so, um, you know, one of the challenges is that, uh, you know, we have all these great community partners and vendors to provide all these services. And we've sort of been working on building out that network. Um, but some of them haven't been involved, as you said, in the, in the Medi-Cal program. They're not used to all the rules on how to submit uh, authorization for approval, how to um, bill and, and through claims, uh, you know, what forms do you use, um, how, you know, they're closed loop systems so that we can make sure that someone who is referred is, is going to actually get the service. We need you know, some verification of that. Um, and so, yeah, our job as a health plan um, is to make sure that those providers and those vendors um, are supported and understand how to do all of that um, so that you know we can we can down the road uh, evaluate and you know, make sure that these provided good value these are taxpayer dollars and we're stewards of that so we need to make sure that we're getting good outcomes and, and tracking everything so you know that that's all important there's a lot of reporting and data and paperwork that that's for sure but these are really important services for our members. Yeah, and that those are all good points. Um, I, I do. I will have to say you mentioned the word supported, and um, as I mentioned, you know, uh, in my quote unquote day job, I have you know the, the different plans. I've been very, uh, very open to ideas, so it's really cool to see the health plans, you know, jump in and and work hand in hand with the providers and be all ears of how the providers can can solve some of these problems. So, can you walk us through? I know we're only a couple months in, so audience. CalAIM um, officially was live, um, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, uh, Dr. Wada, January 1st of this year. And like Dr. Wada mentioned, not all plans have enacted all the community supports. So it's still pretty early. There's also only certain Medi-Cal populations that are currently available. So we won't go into all the details, but over time, 
other Medi-Cal populations will have access to CalAIM, but today it's not everybody. So are you able to share with us maybe an early win here in 2022 and, and maybe some of the cha a challenge that you're still having? Would you mind sharing? Uh, let's start with the win. Yeah, I'd like to qualify that the community supports are available to um, the Medi-Cal beneficiaries, uh, but they do still need to meet individual uh, criteria for that particular community support. And there are some limits as well in terms of how often they can get them. Uh, but it is available to everyone who has Medi-Cal, uh, depending on your uh, county as well as your Medi-Cal plan. But the enhanced care management, which is another big piece, these are the community-based teams that are uh, providing a lot of those support. So for us, there's like a nurse care manager, there's a behavioral health specialist, um, a community health worker. And you know, one of the big issues with this population is sort of trust. So we built in uh, community health workers that are part of the community to help work with those individuals, again, out where they are. Um, those enhanced care management benefits and those teams are restricted to certain populations. So uh, you have, you're either going to be homeless or high utilizer of services, have severe mental illness or substance use disorder. Those are the populations of focus that went live January 1st on the enhanced care management side. And you're right, subsequent populations are going to fold in in 2023. Um, so individuals who are transitioning from long-term care back to the community or trying to keep people in the community from going into long-term care, um, complex children, those subpopulations of focus go live in 2023. Great. Are you able to share with us maybe an example in the first couple of months of work uh, one of these supports um, or ECM even, Enhanced Care Management, has seen um, some good results or at least anecdotally? Yeah, well, the uh, Enhanced Care Management Program is actually built on a prior program called Health Homes that a lot of different health plans and, and counties participated in, and, and also the county whole person care programs. So a lot of the individuals sort of grandfathered over from those programs. And um, in that program's existence and now transitioning to Enhanced Care Management, since we maintain the same model, we've actually done some evaluations that have demonstrated you know, really good outcomes in terms of blood pressure control and increased you know, number of screenings for um, depression and things like that. So we've already gotten some good clinical outcomes. Um, on the housing side, um, IHP already had our own housing program. And so that, that sort of gave us an advantage. We had already been doing a lot of that sort of housing wraparound support. Um, and we, we have tremendous stories about individuals who had previously been experiencing homelessness and then were able to get into a place um, and, and felt supported and then just saw their you know, health uh, or clinical numbers just improve dramatically, whether it was you know, high blood pressure, diabetes and things like that. So, and there are a lot of other um, community support services. You mentioned asthma remediation. So it's basically the same thing. You know, if somebody comes in with asthma, you treat them in a hospital or you treat them in a clinic, you give them medicine, and then they're going back to their home environments with all the asthma triggers and allergy things. And now we have a way to address that as well. We can support air filters in the home, if their you know, carpets are moldy and need to be replaced because it's triggering their asthma, we can we can do things like that. So yeah, there are a lot of great opportunities for CalAIM and we've already experienced some of that. Awesome. Well, it's great to hear those early wins and I uh, appreciate the background on the uh, California Health Homes and how you had housing already in place, unlike a lot of other plans. 
What about some challenges as you try to to leverage these resources into a new program? What, what are some of the, I don't know if barriers is the right word, but yeah, tell us, tell us about some of the challenges or a challenge. Yeah, um, so I, I'd say one of the challenges is, um, you know, even, even when you have great programs like this and there's actually funding to do it, sometimes you can't find the people. Yeah. Um, you know, as, you, as we started out, uh, Riverside and San Bernardino County are huge geographic areas. And when you're getting into some of those more rural um, parts of the county, it, you know, it's definitely difficult to find staff. Um, you know, nurses or behavioral health person, um, you know, that's definitely challenging. So we have a lot of willing partners who, who would like to stand up these teams and provide the services, um, and they just can't find qualified qualified people. Yeah, and I, I wish we had a magic solution for that. Um, but that has, been, that has been one that I think a lot of us can relate to. So um, one thing that... Uh, that DHCS is wanting all of us here in California, and I'm sure obviously across the country, is just the whole access and equity issue, access to care, making sure uh, folks have access to healthcare that's equitable versus the rest of the population. Can you tell us some of the steps that you guys either have taken or are planning to take to really bridge that gap to ensure that quality access and that quality care for all populations? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this is a big focus from the state. It's also been a focus of ours um, because we do see those disparities, whether you're breaking it down by race, ethnicity, or by geography. Um, you know, this was magnified by COVID. You know, COVID is having a huge impact on our populations, um, on our workforce as well, but also on our membership. And we saw you know big differences in terms of whether it's vaccination rates or or you know, death rates, you know, there's big discrepancies there by you know, race, ethnicity. Um, <clears throat> so it's something that uh, we are very much focused on. Um, IEHP has our own strategic plan that we've been working on. Um, and a big part of that and core to our sort of mission, vision, and values is uh, the idea of health equity. So, okay. you know, I think it starts out with, you know, we have all these different uh, clinical metrics that, that we follow, um, you know, whether it's, again, control of blood pressure, or diabetes, you know, are people on the right medicines and things like that, getting the right screenings, um, immunizations. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the key things is awareness that these uh, disparities exist. So we, we break them all down. Um, by race, ethnicity to identify the biggest gaps. And then uh, we work to develop program or through our provider network, um, have these you know, more targeted programs and, and efforts and interventions to try to reduce those disparity gaps. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One thing I'm, I'm learning with, um, with plans like AHP is just the investment into translation as well. Um, you know, I know they're in the Inland Empire, obviously English, Spanish, but um, I know you guys make translation services available, which um, I think is a, is a cool investment. Um, forgive me for not knowing, but I remember you guys won some type of award that I saw um, recently that addresses this issue as well. So it's pretty cool to see some tangible things um, that you guys are doing. So we we went through this pretty quickly, Dr. Wada. I have, have my notes here and questions I wanted to ask you. Is there anything you think we may have missed that the audience uh, should know, keeping in mind our audience are mostly healthcare professionals? 
Um, well, I think the big you know, key takeaway um, from CalAIM and a lot of our efforts really is uh, you know, working to address the social determinants of health. Um, you know, big piece of that is is trust out in the community. So that that's something that re we're really working on in terms of engaging our populations, um, because when you when you are focused and, and we have to do this, of course, but you focus on quality and access within hospitals or within clinics. But we still have a lot of our um, IHP members and there are a lot of you know, Medi-Cal or Medicaid members across the country who aren't engaged in the healthcare system at all. Um, or they come in too late after their you know, disease is already more advanced. And so we really need to find a way to engage out in the community. I'm a big supporter of that and um, you know, address some of these social determinants of health. Um, we're working a lot with, as I mentioned, prior, prior community health workers to kind of build, build that trust. I mean, with COVID, you know, I, I know it got very politicized and there are a lot of different reasons for that, but so much of that was, was mistrust and you know, miscommunication, misunderstanding, misinformation. And so, you know, we really tried to mobilize a lot of our community partners, whether it's the faith community or schools um, or just trusted community leaders, business leaders, you know, just trying to think sort of non-traditional, who can help us get the message out um, about, you know, getting in for these really important services that are gonna keep our communities healthier and our members healthier. Yeah, great point. And I think as we close up the show today, um, one thing that stands out to me with what you touched on is the whole phrase community health worker, which has really gathered steam. And um, there's uh, there's stakeholder committees uh, here in California and across the country to really formalize what that term community health worker means and how we can create an infrastructure and development for community health workers who are folks that are not necessarily licensed medical professionals, but as you mentioned, know how to build trust in the community. So um, great points, Dr. Wada. If they, if folks want to uh, keep up to tabs on what IEHP is up to, what is it? Is the best way to follow on the website, uh, LinkedIn? What, how do you guys best communicate uh, to our listeners? Uh, yes, probably a website. Uh, I know our CEO gets a lot of messages out, uh, so he's a great person to follow. That's uh, Jared McNaughton. He's a, a great leader for us. Uh, but yeah, those those are some ways that uh, people can keep track of what we're up to. All right. Awesome. Jared was actually instrumental in uh, connecting me ultimately to you uh, as the CalAIM expert. So, uh, Dr. Wada, it's truly been a, a privilege uh, hearing about your hearts and your service. You mentioned two to three months a year where you're out serving the community. Um, that was really touching. Uh, folks, Dr. Takashi Wada, who's the Chief Medical Officer for Inland Empire Health Plan, has been our guest. Dr. Wada, thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's great, uh, great service that you do through these podcasts. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.